I'm your host, Patrick Weed, and welcome to Season 2, where we're going to talk about Jesus in real life, what Jesus means to you and me, and what he means to others in their life. Welcome to Ministry IRL. The man, the myth, the legend, Daniel Lanning. <laughs> Daniel Lanning <Yeah>. is back. <laughs> and at this point, I do believe, like, how many, you're doing at least a podcast with the church. You're, you've done this one oh, with just, me. Yeah, this is two podcasts. Only two. Only two. It's one more. It's twice as much as what I'm doing. So how about that? So welcome okay. back, buddy. <laughs> Yes, you're right. Two is twice as many as one. Well, that's so. the, that was the joke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this is uh, season two, and mm-hmm. it's interesting and fun because I'm taking a different approach. So I've said this a few times, but Jesus in real life is the direction. And I was thinking it's no better place to go than the fact that Jesus, and this is the catch that I've been finding myself on all of these, is that I care about it being present tense, but we're so in the habit of saying it in past tense. So it's not that Jesus loved, but it's that Jesus loves Mm -hmm. and is doing it now. Um, But then at the same time, no better way to understand it than to look at the information we have of how he loved in the past. The past tense information, yeah. So so with all that being said, as soon as I sat down... Oh, and by the way, since I think we've done this, you're now like Mr. Official Assistant Pastor of Springfield Faith Center. Has that not happened yet? I don't think so, had it? I mean, you were, but it was all like... I don't even remember. It was crazy COVID 2020. Right. Life like blew up, everything changed. Yes, I'm the Assistant Pastor at the church that Patrick and I attend. Woohoo! So... Yeah, it's always always fun to think of you in that role. I like it. Oh, oh, okay. Thank you. (laughs) I don't know. I just think it's like, yeah, you're all official now. You're finally doing all the things that you wanted to do. Sure. Yeah. Because we've talked about that a few times. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Anyways. Now I'm going through like an itemizing my life. Am I doing all the things that I wanted to do? Am I oh, living the dream? Bucket, I bucket list. I, I don't know. Yeah. Time to time to write it out. Right. I was just going to say, I don't keep a mental bucket list. That's just not how I function. So. That's so funny. I could, it, never mind. We won't go down that rabbit hole because I could in a heartbeat be like, oh, I got three things at the top of my bucket list I got to do. Like go back to Egypt. Never mind. All right. Mm-hmm. Rabbit holes. Um, so Jesus loves. The first thing I thought of was the, uh, I had to go back and find the, the reference, I'll admit. But John fifteen thirteen. Mm-hmm. So greater greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for one's friends. Yeah, and that's where my mind kind of started going because I immediately think of love as a sacrificial. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually so Daniel is also really a good friend in the sense that I've made a lot of vocabulary mistakes in our friendship. So it is a constant running joke that I go back and I have to look up the dictionary definition of words. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did that as well. And the main one, dictionary-wise, it usually talks about an intense feeling or deep affection. Yeah. And I figured we'd go down this road a little bit of, in my mind, some of the current, uh, dare I say, misconceptions of love. Sure. Right? Well, I mean, to be be perfectly frank, it's a road that you kind of have to go down a long ways. I mean, definitions under normal circumstances talking about normal mundane words definitions are important and fraught with difficulties because we've all had the experience of having a conversation about something and then walking away and realizing we weren't really talking about the same thing we Mm -hmm. were using the same words but we weren't i mean this morning even at staff meeting we were talking about the phrase social justice and realizing that there are tremendously different perspectives on what social justice means the the denomination of churches that we belong to 
has a perspective on social justice. It's been a part of our denominational outlook almost from the beginning. And historically, it means something to us, but it's different than what it means in certain other contexts, whether it's being used as a political term or whatever. So definitions are always important. And when it comes to the word love, you know, it's definitions are broad. Yeah, it's well, and this is one of the difficulties. And this is one of the things that we have to identify from the beginning. My dad always used to make the joke, you know, it's dumb that I can look at my wife and say, I love you. And then I can turn around and look at my pizza that I'm having for dinner and say, I love pizza. That's so funny. I was and literally just thinking about that. It can be the same word in both mm -hmm. circumstances. And I clearly mean something different yeah. regarding each. When I say I love my wife, yes, absolutely. There is an element of that self-sacrificial kind of thing in our relationship. When it comes to pizza, I am willing to sacrifice certain things, you know, money and energy or whatever. My to, vegetables. Yeah, to get it. <laughs> But not nearly in the same way. So this is a great example of one of those places where the English language isn't really doing us any favors mm. in understanding the word love. And the definition that you read off is a good starting place. But when it comes to any conversation about the Bible and especially about the person of Jesus, getting more specific is really important. Yeah. So without getting off into the weeds too far, the New Testament in the Bible was originally written in very old form of Greek and we've translated it into English now. And the Greeks at the time used four different words for love. See, this is why I was so excited for you to come talk about this, because I knew you'd know all this information just well, right off. <laughs> and, you know, to anybody listening, some of this may already be familiar to you, so I, you know, I won't bore you with the details. But um, three of the words that get used cover the normal things that we use the words for, whether it's talking about familial-type love, romantic-type love, uh, you know, friendship type love, those sort of normal human expressions of love are covered by three of those four Greek words. The fourth one is the one that gets talked about the most, and it's the Greek word agape. And it's a word at the time that had kind of an amorphous meaning even in Greek culture. Paul saw it as, and the early church authors saw it, and they said, ooh, this is the word that we want. We want to take this and we want to invest it with a little bit of new meaning. But to them, it came to mean the unconditional, self-sacrificial yeah. love that God has for his creation, for the world that he designed and created. And so when frequently, when the scriptures and when the gospels are talking about love, and in that verse you just mentioned, John chapter 15, this is the word that it uses, you know, greater love, greater agape has no one than this, than, you know, that he laid down his life for his friends. And so when we talk about love, it's helpful to distinguish what exactly do we mean? What are we talking about? And if we're going to talk about the person of Jesus, it becomes even more important too, because he clearly demonstrates all of those kinds yeah. of love. He's got family, he's got friends, he's got things in his life that he cares about, but he also becomes the fully manifest picture of God's agape love for mankind and for his creation. And so understanding the agape love of God and what that means and what that looks like, and in contrast to, but also in addition to, and as the fulfillment of human, normal, mundane human love is a really important element to the conversation that we've got to be able to have. The English word that we use for love is broad and non-specific and unhelpful in some ways. And so being specific can be really important as we enter into these conversations. So I have a quick side story just on that aspect, mm -hmm. because when I discovered all those different words in Bible college, sure, um, my wife and I were just friends. We weren't dating yet, yep. but for me, it was really... Uh, already pretty serious, at least in my mind, in my heart. Mm -hmm. And she was very much, I have to always be careful because 
as I always say, she doesn't listen or participate, but she gets talked about a whole bunch. Um, <laughs> but I, I was in the place where I was like, I'm all in on this. Like, I, I want to, you know, pursue marrying you and or at least dating at the time. And she was like, no, don't even talk about that. We can be friends. Mm-hmm. And we had this conversation because I was I would I would talk to my friends just like I do with you and many others. And I would say, I, I love you. Mm-hmm. And it was no big deal for me because in the very much in my concept, it was a friendship love. Like right. I would do a lot for you because you are a close friend. Right. Um, and obviously, and at the time I had a lot less uh, filters and understandings and cultural awareness. <laughs> sure. And I had very many young women who were friends of mine who uh, felt very uncomfortable about that, including <laughs> my wife. So we had a conversation, though, and the coolest part about my wife in that regard is that she's very understanding about me and the different concepts that I have. Mm-hmm. And so we were talking about it. She was like, well, why don't you just use the biblical word right. for friendship? I think at the time, one of them that I could remember easily, it's storge, yeah. is how it gets um, pronounced. And so there's this running joke and like notes that we'd pass to each other that had that phrase on it where she was like, I'm more comfortable with that because I know what that means. And for me, it was a good way of expressing my emotions. So anyways, yeah, super side story. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think it's good though. But so how about for you though? Like as far as when you talk about love, I mean, you expressed the pizza and wife thing. Sure. But uh, what about for you when you think about Jesus loving you? Like how does that click in your brain? (sighs) It... It's a deep and long conversation because that picture of the agape love of God is not one that is necessarily natural to Mm. us. And it's not one that comes automatically to us. One of the words that frequently gets used in trying to describe the agape love of God is that it is unconditional. Yeah. Meaning that God's love has no strings attached. It has no conditions. And that is very unnatural. We don't have any any other like examples of no, that to not, understand not or live by. Really? Yeah. No. I mean, we can talk about um, you know, powerful loves and perfect and pure loves and romantic loves. You know that famous quote from the Princess Bride, right? That um, however <laughs> love it goes, that death cannot stop true love. That idea True love. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this idea that, that love is this powerful force, but even in the best of circumstances, most of us are willing to admit that there are things that could happen that would get in the way. You know, yeah. that if, if, if a romantic partner is unfaithful or makes a bad decision, or even if you're just having a bad day, sometimes on the small scale stuff with, you know, with your significant other, that they can do something or say something and you're like, wow, do I really love this person? Mm. Is that what's going on here? You can have been married for 15 or 20 years yep. and still have those moments. And of course, you know, an hour later, you're like, oh yeah, I got over it. Yes, I totally love that person. An you hour. These, That's you a good, good or, job, dude. Or a day <laughs> no, or whatever I'm it kidding. is. I'm kidding. But you, it's easy to have these moments where there are conditions. Yeah. There are strings oh, attached yeah. to these moments or where you'll feel like, Anyway, and everybody's had experiences like those, even in the best of circumstances, and trying to conceptualize a love that does not have those elements, that purely says, no matter what happens, no matter what you do, I am going to love you forever, is very hard to conceptualize, and it's hard to emotionally accept for ourselves, because we're so used to seeing love as a conditional thing, we tend to view ourselves the same way, like, how could God love me because... X, Y, and Z. And I fill in the conditions that should affect his ability to love me when really the truth is there are no such conditions that can cause him to stop loving me. But I tend to 
imagine that there are. Yeah, no, that's very true. So trying to grasp all of that and say, okay, what does that mean for me? And really, at the end of the day, all I have come, all I have to come back to are the pictures in Scripture and in the Gospels of what we see. You know, Luke chapter fifteen with the prodigal son is one of the ones that I always come back to. For mm-hmm. those who aren't familiar with the story, it's this brief uh, metaphor of a young man who abandons his father, takes his portion of the inheritance, leaves, wastes it in in very unhealthy living. And then at the end realizes, man, my life stinks because I've blown all my money. I want to go back to my father's house. And even if I can just live as a servant there, that's better than what I'm doing now. And so he goes back to be a servant. And the father, being the loving, caring person that he is, welcomes him back with open arms and says, no, you're not coming back as a servant. You're coming back as a full son. doesn't matter that you've hurt me. doesn't matter that you've insulted me. It doesn't matter that you've damaged the relationship. You're coming back. And so pictures like that one are really what I have to go to and what I have to draw on for myself. And understanding myself in that picture as the mm. object of God's love like that is an ongoing process. It mm. is not one that I have solved yet. That's it is good. one that I have to be reminded of every day. Yeah, no, living it out for sure, yeah, is so different than just a truth that we can understand. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I was thinking about that as you were talking, and I'm like, I think for me, it's more often than less, that's why I start at the place, and I don't know, some people might have a problem with this, but this is where I start. I started that friendship place more yeah. so. Because for me that is what has kind of broken down those walls of God doesn't have any expectations of me. He doesn't have any things that require me to do in order for him to love me. Uh And so when that got broken down, I was like, well, then God's way more of my friend. Mm -hmm. And so that began to open the doors of being able to interact with him in more open ways. But that love aspect is for me where I start. And then it grows into he is the I guess, ultimate friend, right. right? Because he will go beyond anything and thus into the agape, unconditional, sacrificial love. And this, though, generates sort of the, the continuation of the conversation because there is a tendency um, in us as we begin trying to understand God's love to sort of get one foot in the water and then stop. Yeah, you know, that's and, a good point. And to quit and to say, oh, this is what God's love looks like and then to sort of stop exploring and stop pressing forward. I heard it said by a preacher um, this way once. He said, God loves you exactly as you are, and he loves you way too much to leave you there. Mm. And so it's this idea that God's love draws us into relationship with him and then also moves beyond that to help us grow into something else. And so love becomes not just the open door into relationship with God, but this journey that we go on with him that involves these elements of transformative power in our lives as well. And stopping short of that really truncates any clear understanding of God's love and stops it at, hmm. oh, he just loves me exactly as I am. End of story. End of story. That's fine. When really that's the beginning of the story. Oh, that's... man, that ties in so much to the idea of acceptance too. Yes. Because right now, to me, a big a big uh, social idea, I guess I would say, mm-hmm. is that love means accepting me for who I am. Right. Which is true. Yes. But I, I really like how you put that because it just means that that's just not the end. Right. That's not where it stops. Right. So, yes, we accept, you know, I love you, you love me. We accept each other for who we are and where we're at. Right. But we can also have uh, the hope and desire, I'm trying to speak of this from a friendship sure. level, mm-hmm. of, you know, you're going to grow and, you know, become more than who you right. were yesterday. Right. I mean, kids, probably. My kids are the great. I was just going to say, you yeah. and I are both fathers, and thinking about our kids is one of the easiest ways to contextualize this. Yeah. Because there's nothing that your kids could do that would make you want to, you know, throw them out of the house or remove them from the family or 
whatever. Yeah. You know, they can make mistakes and they can break stuff. You love them exactly as they are, but because you're their dad, you also want to see the best for them. You also want them to grow into the fullest, most flourishing versions of who they are. And you realize and understand that's going to involve tremendous growth yeah. and tremendous work on their part and just this journey. And you're dedicated and devoted to the whole thing, the whole spectrum. You're like, I love you and I am getting you in the door right now and nothing that you do or say can jeopardize that. Even if you abandon that future journey, you know, I'm still going to love you, but I want to see you engage that journey. I want to see you be the healthiest, most fulfilled version mm -hmm. of yourself. Good. And there's Good. so many, so many elements to understanding love where parenthood ends up, at least for me becoming one of the better ways for, for me to understand these elements. So much work. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so much oh, goodness. Work. Yes. <laughs> so uh -huh. much work. All right. Yeah. So aspects then of, and in order to better even understand it as we move forward. So mm -hmm. aspects of how in the past to be able to understand the present, how Jesus loved. What's the first thought that comes to your mind of how Jesus loved? Well, I mean, there's what the classic verse from John three sixteen, right? For God mm -hmm. so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And it's this idea that even the love of Christ comes first because of the love of the Father, that the, the two of them are part of this Trinitarian being, This and Jesus becomes the full human expression of the total divine nature of God given to us on here, he, given to us on earth as an expression of God's agape love, as this, you know, real life, lived out, touch, feel kind of um, kind of experience. And so you look at the elements of Jesus' life and you say, all right, what did he do? How did he love? What did that look like? Yeah. And, and that's kind of where I start. And you just look at the human elements of his life. He had family relationships. He had friends. He had no romantic interest that we are aware of. I realize that there are like myths and legends oh, about goodness. some yeah. sort of Dan Brown style... <laughs> <laughs> you know, conspiracy theories about Jesus heirs or whatever. There is no, uh, there is no legitimate scholarly evidence to suggest that Jesus had any sort of romantic affiliations or interests. So we can kind of leave that one aside, but human relationships, friends, family, loved ones in that sense, he had plenty of, and I was talking to a friend of mine who's not a believer a couple of years ago and who was commenting about how impressive the person of Jesus is. And he was talking about the end of the gospel of Luke and just talking about Jesus after having come back from the dead, going to his friends and family and caring for them as they're processing their grief over his death. And for him, of course, he's looking at this as a historical myth, right? Not as a real world occurrence, but he was just so impressed by this idea of the care and the heart and this expression of love on the part of Jesus. Hmm. And I was like, I don't think I've ever thought about that right? before. That's a that's, cool perspective from this person who doesn't necessarily share my faith, but who sees the, the power of it. So, yeah. My big one that I immediately go to as I was thinking about this is the amount of time that he spent with people. Mm -hmm. Now, granted, there's plenty of times where he was alone. That I, you know, uh, he went and took care of himself. But the as far as him loving the world, John three sixteen. Right. I feel like the amount of time that he spent with people was a huge aspect and dealing with uh, how should we say just the odd and crazy weird aspects of human beings mm -hmm. and it didn't drive him to be like i'm gonna go seclude myself for forever and right. you know send out people but he like was in the midst of it right and the patient so the work really going back to the parent parental right. kind of idea i feel like that was a big one that i noticed right away as an example of that and so that one to me then speaks directly for now in that god jesus loves me enough 
to want to spend time with me. Right. And that's become a huge thing for me in the past couple of years of just mm-hmm. exploring what that looks like, um, trying to be creative and get outside of the normal stereotypical ways. Um, I think one of the most recent ones I've done, I've done that is the most uh, uh, easy to express is I went out and played disc golf one day <laughs> and God was just like, I want to come do that with you. Uh-huh. And it wasn't anything spectacular. There wasn't like, you know, I didn't see anybody, you know, it wasn't anything super crazy, but it was just, I was alone and I was spending time doing something and doing it and allowing God to be present with right. me and trying to listen to him. And there was an intentional conscious connection on your part in the middle yep. of that action that yeah. was involved. Yeah. Yeah. So. Let's see. What other aspects of this? Because to me, it's it's always ends up being that question of like, how is this ap- applicable? Sure. Ap- applic- I can't talk. That's the word. That applicable is the right word. Applicable yeah. is the right word, but it almost didn't come out right. Um, so yeah, but how is that? <laughs> <laughs> There's like videos on internet that I know you and I both watch occasionally where like people go and on purpose mispronounce things. Mispronounce, yep. Yeah, it's always a fun one. So applicable. So the aspects of how this is applicable to us now. Mm. So share with me what you think. How is it applicable? I mean, experiencing the love of God in a way that you can walk away from it knowing, yes, okay, God loves me on a very real felt sense is tough partly because it's different for every person i think and um you know but you think about the human interactions that you can have that leave you with that same sense like walking Mm -hmm. away from time with a person knowing oh my goodness that person loves me you know that i think about moments where my wife and i've been on dates or whatever we've been having conversations and she'll say something or she'll do something and i will just be struck by this sense of this is the most precious person in the world to Mm -hmm. me like i adore this person or knowing that she loves me and adores me and just the overwhelming reality of those kind of moments. I don't know that most of us have those very often, but I think we've each had a few of those. Yeah. And trying to experience something similar or even remotely approaching that from God can end up being kind of difficult sometimes. And so, um, like you were talking about disc golf a second ago. I've tried that, and I have discovered that doesn't work. For oh, me. yeah? No, no. Because <laughs> when I go play disc golf, my whole focus and attention gets completely occupied on the mechanics of the game and the playing of the game. And I can go in like, all right, God, come with me. Let's do this disc golf thing together. And then I will finish 18 holes later, and I will think, I never thought about God once. <laughs> I, uh, I got frustrated at myself a good deal and you know, threw some Frisbees, but I didn't think about God. And I find that in stuff like that, I get distracted so easily. Mm. And so the last couple of weeks, what's become a more meaningful discipline to me is to find the most secluded, quiet, isolated place that I can and to just sit there for half an hour or 45 minutes and try to talk to God. And I have discovered, I have the advantage of working in a church building that is uh, somewhat large and so there are a couple of closets that I can go find and just sit in a dark closet and shut the door. Hmm. And it's dead quiet in there. I don't have my phone with me. I don't have my computer. There's no people knocking on the door, looking around for me or whatever. And just sit in the closet for half an hour or 40 minutes in the dark and just sit there and talk to God. And it's been uh, pretty remarkable to realize how many distractions there are in my normal day-to-day life and how in the way they get of being able to hear from God and right. feel like I'm experiencing yeah. him. And and in those moments of seclusion and quietness and solitude, there have been some really profound moments of being able to hear from God and experience a sense of love from 
him. Mm. So, and that's not to say that disc golf can't work oh, no, for no, some no. people because I know it totally yeah. can. No. But just to say that there's a spectrum and it's different for everybody. Exactly. You have to do a little bit of experimentation and yeah. you have to figure out who you are and how God speaks to you. But I guess just as way of encouragement saying, try a bunch of stuff. Right. No, I, I absolutely love that yours is the exact opposite. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a huge aspect of our friendship too. Uh-huh. Because yep. to me, it's that whole like, it's not a formula right it's not a this is the way to do it everybody we're going to tell you right now right. here's how you go spend time with god and he will for sure talk to you and you will for sure hear him right we can like, give you some ideas yeah. and we can point to some things that have historically worked for absolutely people, but yeah and yeah there's places you can start mm-hmm. but i think that definitely because as you're describing that i was like that would drive me insane i'd be i'd be distracted <laughs> and maybe by that's everything the best possible reason right? you should try exactly it. well i mean yeah but i mean i think that that's the idea is exploring different ways to spend time with god mm-hmm. because we can count on the truth that he wants to. Yeah. That he loves you and wants to spend time with you. So whatever that looks like, I I mean, the same applies for me and my wife. My wife has things that she likes to do that are not my cup of tea. Right. It's not easy for me to do, but I do do my best. So I'll give a quick example. I hate country music. <laughs> I absolutely you hate country music. Both. Yeah. So when we're on long, long road trips, um, every now and then, I'll on purpose. Oh, <laughs> gross. Right? Oh. oh, dude, but it gets me so many good points because she knows how much I dislike it, but wow. she loves it and doesn't always get it that much, especially on road trips together. And so, yeah, a big aspect is I'll turn on some country music and be like, I love you. Right. This, this is for you. So, but this is but this is a good this is a good point though mm-hmm. um, to say for moments like that. Why for you? Why does your love for her express itself that way? Because we're not just now we're not just talking about a theoretical strong feeling right. towards somebody. The dictionary definition that you read at the beginning focuses on that, and that's a good yep. starting place. Okay, love needs to be tied to emotion, okay, and on some level, but it's gone beyond that, and now it's translated into some sort of a real world action. So, yeah. why is that important for you as an expression of love? I mean, beyond the fact that I like her mm-hmm. <laughs> and I like it when she's happy, I'm happy. Uh-huh. All of those kind of things. And it's actually kind of where I was thinking of going to in this conversation is there's a place where you can, you so early on in our relationship, that was out of a pure just excitement of being with someone new. Sure. Life changed. Everything's different. Um, it sparked things in her that then, you know, caused for a fun time together. Mm-hmm. If she's happy, you know, right. then we got that. So there was, there was, and I'll admit, uh, call it selfish, but also call it just, you know, learning how to be together yeah. in those early years. Um, I would say though that now as we've like, so we're coming up on, oh goodness, I should know this. I'm pretty <laughs> sure it's 17. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's 17. Watch me be wrong. But that's yeah. okay. She never listens or participates. Yeah. So we're <laughs> 16 or 17, I'm pretty sure it's 17 years of marriage. So now though, it's a lot more in this realm where I've realized that the, so this goes back to a thought that I had of, God is love. Yeah. It's not just that he loves. Right. Not just that Jesus loves, but Jesus is love. In his very nature. Right? Like that is just who he is and not as a characteristic. Right. But like as, I don't even know how to define it, Mm -hmm. as a, you know, if my hand is a part of me, that is an aspect of who God is. Right. And so with that though, um, and I know we're diving into some big, huge theological concepts here that we're not unpacking, but with the idea of Christ being now in me, mm-hmm. an aspect of him being in in my life, in my soul, um, and me being made in his image, yep. then there's aspects where loving my wife now has become less about the results that I get mm-hmm. and a lot more about the, 
God loves me no matter what, mm-hmm. no matter what I do, no matter what I don't do with all of that. So then there's an outpouring from me into right. others as well, right. where it's a, it's a, um, I almost want to say natural consequence. Consequence yeah. sounds like the wrong, wrong word, but like a natural result. Right. Cause and of, effect. Cause, yeah. Mm-hmm. Of, of experiencing that with God. Yeah. And this is the fun part that my wife and I often talk about with each other. Sometimes it goes wrong. Sometimes, but some, a lot of times it goes right. <laughs> where if we're not doing well, uh-huh. we'll be like, so how much time have you been spending with God lately? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and sometimes it comes out more of like, hey, are you, you know, right. have you been spending right. some time with God? You definitely seem like you're not doing okay. Yeah. Because that then affects how we treat each other. Right. So I think, again, journey of those different things right. to your question. And you used the word a second ago, outpouring. Yeah. That, that when, when you are experiencing the love of God, then it translates into an outpouring towards somebody else. And really that's a core understanding to getting this concept of the agape love of God. Because the agape love of God needs to have an object. It needs to be directed outwardly to someone else. It's mm-hmm. not enough. Uh, I don't remember who I first got this thought from. I want to attribute it to C.S. Lewis, but it's uh, it's possible that I picked it up somewhere else. But whoever I read it from said, if I were the only being in the universe, if it were just me by myself with no other beings, then love would be meaningless. Mm, yep. It would have no context if it were just me. But as soon as there is another person another being and i can have some kind of a relationship or interaction with them now love has context now it means something to say i love this person or i love you know whatever this is where if it were just me love would be kind of non-existent exactly really exactly non-existent and so this idea of having an object having a, a, a direction for the outpouring of love to go and so the picture that we see of the agape love of god is that it always looks on some level to serve someone yeah to outpour itself and to care for the people and serve the people in our lives and really in the best of circumstances when we see love lived out that's what we see we see people serving each other in a variety of capacities think in a lot of different ways but that's how it ends up looking and so when we talk about the agape love of god coming from him to us understanding it in the context of god serving us actually becomes a really important facet also a complicated one because sometimes we think of serving and servants as there are right there are connotations of value to that statement and and some people are necessarily hesitant or resistant to the idea of thinking of god as a being who serves but there is ample biblical evidence to demonstrate just the pure fact of him sending his son to die for our sins like that act of service he gave up his life for us like he gave up yeah so you could definitely take that one and direct it in that direction of god served us by saving us and now the question becomes how is he continuing to serve us if how is he engaging us on this journey of love how is he continuing Mm -hmm. to pour himself out to us yeah. uh, on a day-to-day basis and how can I best experience that and receive it and recognize it for what it is. Absolutely. So so I am doing this thing. I did it in the previous season as well where I have a question at the end of the conversation. <laughs> but I also want to make sure like it doesn't have to fit within what we've talked about. Sure. Um, so it, And it can change. If you come back and you have another thought next time, that's totally fine. But what would you want people to know about Jesus in real life? Um, that he loves them. I right. mean, I, yeah. I feel like given the nature of our conversation, that's, <laughs> totally. the, that's the obvious thing. But I think that, that really that, that unconditional, no strings attached, open door 
that says you are loved exactly as you are. Yeah. And and I do think it's important to keep in mind that he also wants us to grow. He's got a journey that he's inviting us into, but his love is not conditional on that journey or on our participation with that journey. His He wants us engaged in that journey because he recognizes that it's best for us and that the transformation and the growth that he has planned is best for us. But his love for us is not conditioned upon that. His love yeah. for us is purely unconditionally directed and saying, I love you exactly the way that you are and I want nothing but the best That's for good. you. And and so really um, that and really helping people understand that in the, the pure simplicity of it, I realized that, you know, that phrase, Jesus loves you, is horribly overused uh. and, and to the degree of, of almost becoming meaningless, but hopefully given the nature of the conversation and the thoughts that, that we've been kicking around, there is some sense of a real definite meaning to it because the truth is that God Jesus does love us yeah and that is should always be a powerful statement absolutely absolutely I think it begs the question that if it's not to anyone listening then then why and like Mm -hmm. that's a good place to explore that's okay to explore but it's definitely one that I I would concur with you like we agree that it's something we care about so Mm -hmm. awesome dude well thank you so much for being here I appreciate it my pleasure Thanks, everyone, for joining us. We hope that you enjoyed the show. Hopefully it challenged you to think about Jesus or ministry in a new way. Make sure to check back with us every Friday for another episode of Ministry IRL Season 2, where we talk about ministry and Jesus in real life.